I am a cheer mom. My daughter cheers. I was a cheerleader. My aunts cheered. All of my friends cheered. And now a lot of their daughters cheer. It's a community. And while we joke about how cutthroat it's become, when it works the way it's supposed to work, it becomes more than a competition, more than just some part of our culture. It becomes a true sisterhood, a true brotherhood. When it works the way it's supposed to, it becomes something bigger than the sum of its parts, or even that part of us that it fulfills. We become something bigger. We become a team. We share in one another's triumphs. We shoulder each other's defeats. We bond together, support each other, lift each other up, and give each other strength. And it's not for ribbons or medals or jackets or rings. It's not for the trips, trophies, or bragging rights at school. It's for each other, but cheer is more than that. It's a trust. It's putting the most precious thing in your life in the hands of someone else. And it's praying that the other parent, coach, trainer, or choreographer looks at your child and my child and sees the same purity and purpose that we see. Cheer is a trust that those who are placed in positions of authority over our sons and our daughters are honest, fair, decent, and well-intentioned people. That their motivation through all those practices and performances is to bring out only the best in our children. That they would, in fact, protect our children from anything threatening that purity of purpose. Yeah, cheer is a trust. And that trust can be shattered in a second. How do I know? Because as I record this, the biggest cheerleading scandal in the history of the country is about to break wide open. On Monday, August 22, 2022, a man by the name of Scott Foster drove his 2023 Kia Sportage with a vanity license plate reading Rockstar to Paris Mountain State Park, just north of Greenville, South Carolina. He parked his car and shot himself in the head. Scott Foster was the founder and owner of Rockstar Cheer, a Greenville-based cheer gym he opened with his wife, Kathy Foster, in 2007. Foster had coached all-star cheerleaders for over 20 years. He was renowned in the industry. His company was hugely successful with franchises all across the country. At first glance, Foster certainly seemed beloved by his community and the athletes that he trained. In the immediate aftermath of his suicide, though, it became clear that beneath the outpouring of grief and support on social media and all the requests for prayers and privacy from Rockstar and his family, something was off. It's hard to describe that gut feeling that moms get, like that moment when you feel someone moving their eyes over you in a menacing or creepy way, or paying too close of attention to one of your children. It's something that you literally can feel in the air and pick up on like radar. I got that sensation when I first heard about Scott Foster. From the very beginning, it just felt like something serious and sinister was lurking below the surface of the story. At this point, I should probably tell you a little bit about what I do. As I mentioned, I'm a cheer mom. I've coached all-star teams and helped coach high school teams. I've even been certified by several of the cheer associations this podcast is going to wind up exposing. Honestly, what bothers me the most about this story as a mom is that I depended on these organizations to protect my child too. 
I knew there were issues, isolated allegations of coaches getting too close to their athletes, but I had no clue how deep the problems went. Should I have asked more questions? Should I have asked them earlier? I mean, it's what I do for a living and yet it didn't even occur to me. I'm an investigator with a degree in criminal justice from Michigan State University. For the last year, I've been the director of research at Fitz News, an independent South Carolina-based media outlet, which has gained national acclaim for its coverage of the Murdoch family murders. Fitz News founding editor, Will Folks is the journalist who broke open the Murdoch murder saga and the reporter who broke the rock star cheer story. Along with myself and Fitz director of special projects, Dylan Nolan, Will is also one of the producers of Cheer Incorporated, in a voice that you'll be hearing from in just a bit. But first, let's go back to Paris Mountain. The incident report that we received about Scott Foster's death from the Greenville County Sheriff's Office was heavily redacted, but it indicated a 62-year-old female initiated the report at 10.51 that Monday morning, August 22, 2022. It doesn't state what prompted her to call the police or what happened between 10.51 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. when officers finally arrived at Paris Mountain State Park and found Foster's body. The report was only one page long. It gave no indication of what may have led Scott Foster to take his own life, nor did it in any way foreshadow the seismic shockwaves the Greenville community and the American cheer industry would experience in the days to come. The report basically just said when the call came in, when deputies arrived to begin investigating, and when they left the scene. Shortly before 4 p.m. on Tuesday, August 23rd, the day after Scott Foster's suicide, Fitz News received its first tip alleging that Foster had been engaged in sexual misconduct with underage athletes at Rockstar Cheer. I texted that tip to Will and told him this is going to be something, trust me. Of course, even I had no idea at the time just how big that something was going to be. Like a late summer rainstorm building in intensity, the drops had begun to fall. And before long, we were receiving a steady influx of tips alleging sexual misconduct on the part of Foster and other Rockstar Cheer employees. Some of the accounts were secondhand. Many were firsthand. All of them, though, pointed in the same direction. Sure enough, it wasn't long before a network of local, legal, law enforcement, and prosecutorial sources had confirmed a shocking development in the case. Here was Will's first report on the story. Some breaking news out of Greenville, South Carolina. Earlier today, my news outlet reported on the death of 49-year-old Scott Foster, who was the owner and founder of Rockstar Cheer, which is one of the nation's largest cheer and gym studios. Uh, Foster, an institution in the upstate, founded this business back in 2007. He was found dead in his vehicle at Paris Mountain State Park, just north of Greenville. It was a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, which was the cause of his death. Greenville County Coroner has ruled his death a suicide. But as that news shocked the upstate, there's additional shocking developments to come. This news outlet has exclusively confirmed that at the time of his death, Foster was the focus of a multi-jurisdictional investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct with some of the underage female students at this cheer facility. Now, this news outlet has been speaking with some of the alleged victims in this case, with their families, with some of the law enforcement officers who have been in the process of uncovering 
these alleged crimes. So I want you to stay tuned to Fitz News for much more on this as the story unfolds. But for now, the big news out of Greenville, South Carolina, not only the suicide of 49-year-old Scott Foster, the owner and founder of Rockstar Gym, but the confirmation that at the time of his death, Foster was under investigation for allegations of sexual misconduct. What we didn't know at the time, obviously, was it wasn't just underage females. It wasn't just Scott Foster. And it wasn't just Rockstar. What was it? We were about to find out. And even though all of us knew we had stumbled into something huge, not even our work on the massive Murdoch murders crime and corruption case could have prepared us for what was coming. Moments after Fitz News broke the story, our tip line absolutely exploded. I remember laying in bed watching the emails popping up on my phone one after the other. That rainstorm I mentioned earlier, the drips of incoming information, it was now a full-on torrential downpour. Scanning social media, I was seeing many of the same glowing tributes to Foster from athletes and parents within the cheer community. People were posting to their pages saying things like, you will be deeply missed, or the gym will not be the same without you, or you are truly one of a kind, or even I'm so lucky to say I was coached by one of the very best. Beyond these glowing tributes, though, I noticed another narrative forming. It was quiet at first, definitely subordinate to all of the fawning praise and hero worship heaped on Foster. But once it started, it quickly gained traction. Before long, peppered within all the praise, prayers, and platitudes for Rockstar's founder, messages started popping up from parents and former athletes who had trained with him over the previous two decades. Slowly but surely, this new narrative took hold, and the legacy of Scott Foster began to be seen in a whole new light. This doesn't surprise me, one person wrote. He was always a creep. I'd heard rumors of this, but dismissed them, wrote another. As the chatter online kept building, our tip line continued receiving message after message from other athletes, parents, coaches, choreographers, gym owners, and watchdogs in the cheer industry. These messages were even more concerning. And when Fitz News started including an appeal in its online and video coverage, the floodgates opened. So there's this two-pronged situation going on here, I guess. On the one hand, you've got Jen. She's the cheer mom. She's tied in with the cheer community. She's super plugged in on all these sites and message boards where people are talking about the rock star suicide in real time. But Jen is also like the best researcher in the country. So all of that incoming is being processed in this incredibly organized, professional way that really starts to quickly produce the sort of patterns that you look for in a story like this and really starts to define very quickly where it looks like that story is going to go. And so you've got Jen triaging all this raw information that's flowing into the site and obviously more importantly, just trying to be there for like dozens of people who are coming forward with these stories. And while she's doing that, you know, I'm on the phone with my people. I'm trading messages with local, state, federal law enforcement. I'm talking to state and federal prosecutors, to attorneys who are representing people saying that they're tied to this thing, to private investigators with information about Rockstar. And yeah, I mean, it's all tracking. And the whole time, you know, I've got my own set of parents from the Greenville area and beyond who are reaching out to me and alleged victims or survivors from that gym and other gyms and contacting me personally. And I mean, it didn't take long at all for me to be completely convinced that this sexual abuse narrative was legit. But the thing is this, 
we aren't in the business of amplifying baseless anonymous speculation, no matter how much volume there might be behind it. I mean, this isn't a situation where you reach a point of critical mass that pushes you over an edge to publish something. Um, no, you, uh, you have to have specific information that you verify through a trusted network of sources. And, you know, I'm talking about people who are not only in a position to know, but who know that they can show you a, a text or an email or they can play you a recording of a phone call and they know that information isn't going anywhere. They, they know they're safe, that, that what they're sharing goes no further. And so, yeah, I mean, people know that they have that with me because, you know, a few years ago I had this judge here in South Carolina and, and he basically issued an order demanding I reveal sources in this libel case that, that I was in and I refused to do it. And that cost me a dollar because I ended up losing that case. But what I ended up gaining was so much more valuable. What I gained from all the publicity that surrounded that $1 verdict was that everybody knew, hey, that guy is willing to go to jail and put his business on the line before he gives his sources up. That That's a guy I can trust. So you have that on the journalistic side. And then more importantly, you've got Jen, who has immediately earned the trust of all of the folks who are involved in this by just, you know, putting putting their needs first, putting them and their best interests ahead of us necessarily getting a story. But bottom line, those are the types of relationships that enable you to tell stories like this the right way. So whether it's from my end on the criminal investigatory side um, or from Jen Wood being the cheer mom that everyone knows they can trust and telling their story, those are the types of relationships that enable this news outlet to confirm the very first big piece of news here that there was an active federal investigation into Scott Foster and Rockstar Cheer at the time of his suicide. As Will and I started comparing notes, one of the first pieces of information we were able to verify was that Scott Foster's discipline record within the cheer industry wasn't completely spotless. One of the sources I connected with from the tip line told me, and I quote, Scott was on suspension for an incident involving inappropriate behavior with minors a few years ago. There are videos and you need to find them. It didn't take me long to locate one of those videos on social media. The short 10 to 15 second cell phone clip we found showed Scott Foster and another coach from his gym laughing as athletes on his team were seen chugging what appeared to be alcohol from a funnel. Foster even appeared to be filming one of the underage athletes with a cell phone as she funneled the alcohol. We would later learn that this video was filmed in the summer of 2017 following a team dinner. It began making the rounds within the Rockstar community that fall, prompting the first real scrutiny of Foster and his program. Foster addressed the allegations publicly months later on social media, saying that they were part of, and I quote, an aggressive online effort against him. Responding directly to the video's disturbing content, Foster said the funneling was, and I quote again, a prank, and that the cheerleaders were using, quote, non-alcoholic liquids. I was disappointed in them and myself for this situation occurring, Foster wrote in his apology. I did not provide alcohol for anyone present and would not, but I was naive and had an obvious lapse in judgment. Foster concluded his so-called apology message saying he was committed to rock stars athletes and quote, their well-being in and out of the gym and that 
In my 21 years of coaching, my integrity and commitment to our athletes has never been in question. He further vowed to, quote, remain committed to these athletes and you, their parents, and to leading rock star cheer and dance with the highest level of integrity. That was December of 2017. In the aftermath of the funneling scandal, a handful of parents pulled their athletes from Rockstar, but by and large, parents believed him. And why not? His excuse was ridiculous, but it seemed genuine. And importantly, there was no visible consequences from the industry which was supposed to be regulating Scott Foster and his conduct. And even if they didn't believe him, the pressure on these parents to maintain their children's positions within the competitive cheer community was simply too great. Beyond his influence with industry leaders and regulators, that was Scott Foster's real power. He was the access point and arbiter of advancement in an industry into which these parents were pouring thousands of dollars and their children were pouring hundreds of hours, not to mention their hearts and souls. Like so many families across the country, they were invested. No wonder so many parents dismissed the allegations against Foster. No wonder they continued entrusting their children to his care. No wonder nothing happened. So we've seen this hugely broad range of responses to these allegations. And I'm not just talking about Scott Foster and the allegations against him. I'm talking industry-wide. You've got one set of parents who, when they see something like this, immediately they're rightfully thinking, oh, hell no. You know, my kid's not going anywhere near that guy ever again, you know, screw that. But, you know, for every one of those parents, you've got five, six or seven sets of parents who, you know, I mean, they get that gut feeling. They feel that cringe and that twisting twinge inside the pit of their stomachs, but they can't or they won't or for whatever reason, they are too afraid to do anything about it. So, and then you've got probably the same number of parents who just trust it blindly and completely, and they, they aren't even bothered by it. They, you know, worship these coaches. So whatever they see or hear that's negative about them, they just write it off like it's nothing. You know, they don't even feel that, that, that cringe, you know. Um, and then finally, you've got this last group. And this is really the most shocking thing that I've seen yet on this story. You've got this certain group of parents that they actually push their kids to go along with this stuff. Um, people who, you know, do things you wouldn't even believe in support of it. And I'm talking about parents who sleep with coaches to get their kids on these teams. And even worse, some who literally and actively encourage their teenage kids to sleep with the coaches, with the trainers, with the choreographers, all so they can get ahead in this industry. Another thing we were quickly able to verify following Foster's suicide was that in the aftermath of the funnel video, he was temporarily suspended, albeit in name only, by the U.S. All-Star Federation, or USASF, one of the so-called industry watchdogs. I found a photo of a temporary suspension letter on Twitter. As these early anchor points were being confirmed, messages were still coming in through every channel Fitz News has, email, Twitter, Facebook, text messages. And not only was the downpour more voluminous, it felt like the information we were receiving was getting more shocking and concerning by the hour, more personal. Survivors were coming to us for help, not sure what to do next. They were wondering who they should contact, wanting to share their story with someone, but not necessarily ready to broadcast it to the world. They wanted those who allegedly abused them held accountable, but they were not sure they wanted to file a report with the police yet. 
At this point, I made an important decision. As someone who is intimately familiar with the cheer industry, the pressure that these athletes are under, and the fear and confusion they must have been feeling in the aftermath of such a shocking and jarring situation, I decided my first priority was not going to be gathering information. I told them that until they were ready to move forward to think of me as just another cheer mom, no conversations were recorded. I put my computer away. I didn't take notes. I wanted to truly listen and help guide these people through what I'm sure was one of the toughest days of their lives. I also wanted them to know that there were resources available to them as they decided their next steps. These were difficult conversations for everyone, but after speaking with a number of survivors, I knew that the abuse at Rockstar and across this industry spanned many years. I offered each person the number of the agencies in charge of the criminal investigation and also had a list of attorneys to offer for them to reach out to when they were ready. I ensured that they had access to mental health resources and I checked in with them daily to make sure that they were okay and getting connected to the people who could help them navigate the rough waters that they suddenly found themselves trying to tread. Preparing them for what I knew would be an influx of media reports and legal actions over the coming days and weeks. As these conversations continued, the narrative of the real Scott Foster was picking up momentum. We knew Scott was a predator. The entire community knew it. We reported it through USASF and Varsity. Nothing was done. Over and over. I wondered how this could be possible, especially seeing the recent issues in USA Gymnastics and watching that story unfold nationally. I'd also closely followed the recent story about the accusations made against Jerry Harris, the star of the hit Netflix series, Cheer. As I began digging deeper into what we have taken to calling Cheer Incorporated, what I found was shocking. Nearly the entire industry, including the nonprofits created to protect the safety of athletes and the integrity of cheer competitions, is run by the same for-profit company. This company, Varsity, has made billions of dollars perpetuating a broken system, a rigged system, a predatory system. By funding and maintaining majority interests in cheerleading's governing bodies, Varsity is effectively the judge and jury of those entrusted with the safety and well-being of our children. How have its leaders discharged that responsibility? Let's hear from attorney Alexandra Benevento of the Columbia, South Carolina-based Drom Law Firm. These institutions went to great lengths to protect and enable predators and sexual abusers rather than taking steps to protect the children that they had a responsibility to protect. They went to great lengths to hush, to silence, and to intimidate the people that were victimized, um, and we plan to hold them accountable. And we do need help doing that. We do ask that anybody with information, whether you yourself have been victimized, whether you are a survivor of this behavior, whether you have witnessed this behavior, whether you have information to provide, to please come forward. We believe that there is power in a chorus of voices, and we would encourage you to please reach out to us. Thank you. Benevento's firm filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Greenville, South Carolina, on Thursday, September 1, 2022. That lawsuit named Scott Foster, Rockstar, Varsity, and the U.S. All-Star Federation among its many co-defendants. More importantly, it listed up to 100 Jane and John Doe's, survivors of what attorney Bakari Sellers called a factory of abuse. 
On the next installment of Cheer Incorporated, we will take you inside that factory and let you hear the story of the lawsuit in the voices of the attorneys who filed it. We will also begin our journey into the investigation of Scott Foster and Rockstar Cheer. Cheer.